0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. All right, coming up on this Thursday edition: Have Democrats found a way to divide Republicans from their core constituency? This week, we passed,
2: as you know, the legislation to, to um, respect marriage. Uh, to the uh, to actually. Debunk the so-called Defense of Marriage Act and enshrine the respect for marriage in
1: our um, law. Ah, That was Nancy Pelosi earlier today crowing about the House passing a measure that codifies into law the 2015 Supreme Court decision which redefined marriage. That decision, as predicted by the late Justice Scalia, has led to an open season on people of faith. Now, 47 Republicans in the House voted... With Nancy Pelosi. Now, we're going to take a closer look at the issue and what it could mean, not only for religious freedom, but what about children? What could this mean for children in the future of our country? We'll discuss it with Katie Faust, author of Them Before Us and Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. Also, how should Christians actually respond to this? You know, one justification that some members had for supporting this redefinition of marriage has been that well i i i know homosexual or lesbian people i have some in my family and uh we don't want them we don't want them to think we're against them others say we shouldn't take a right away that's been created now those are factors but do they justify making something that is morally wrong into a legal right is it solid reasoning to advance something that we've seen not only undermines the institution of a family but something that has proven to be incompatible with our first freedom, religious freedom, and the freedom of speech. We're going to talk about it with Virgil Walker, Executive Director of Operations for G3 Ministries, and the co host of Just Thinking Podcast. You won't want to miss that conversation. And another top priority for Nancy Pelosi
3: protecting and promoting abortion. Rather than work with us, Democrats again are spreading fear and misinformation to score political points. And they're doing it with a very poorly drafted bill that opens the the door further to extreme abortion on demand and their agenda. H.R. 8373 is a Trojan horse for more abortions. It should be called the Payouts for Planned Parenthood Act.
1: That was Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers speaking against H.R. 8373, the so-called Right to Contraceptive Act, on the House floor Earlier today, and now it should come as uh, no surprise, but the Biden administration's woke military is having an extremely difficult time in recruiting. Our people are critical to our readiness, but
0: recruiting motivated, fit, and academically proficient men and women continues to be a challenge. Only 23% of military-age men and women
1: in the United States are qualified to serve, and that does not even reflect propensity meaning that while twenty three percent are qualified many of them don't want to serve in our nation's military why is that Now that was the army's vice chief of staff general joseph martin who spoke before the house armed services committee earlier this week well general general martin went on to list a number of areas the military is reviewing to make military service more attractive to that twenty three percent but guess what's missing from their list now, we're going to talk about it with our own general, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He joins me a little later here on Washington Watch. Yesterday, we talked about the president's speech in Massachusetts, saying he will take executive action on the environment. However, more attention has been paid to these unscripted remarks than the actual substance of his speech. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so many other people I grew up have cancer and why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. The president yesterday stating he has cancer and that Delaware had the highest rate of cancer because of oil refineries. Once again, following the president's speech, his his staff had to go up and clean up his words bill. And by the way, speaking of the president's green push, we'll get Dr. Cal Beisner's take on what unilateral actions the administration might take and how they will impact you and your family. Dr. Beisner is president and founder of the Cornwall Alliance. And by the way, uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre announced today that despite the COVID bubble that President Biden has been living in, the president has COVID. Can you
4: say exactly when he started feeling mild symptoms? I-
3: I cannot say uh, exactly when, when that occurred. Um, I could say that, uh, uh, that um, you know, he told us this morning he had a, nose, a, a, a runny nose, he had a dry cough, um, he was a little bit fatigued. Uh, he did say he had restless sleep. Uh, and when that occurred, uh, and he, he got the antigen test, tested, uh, tested positive, and then was given a PCR test.
1: Now, uh, it should come as no surprise, I agree with almost nothing this president does. But I pray for him almost daily. I do. And because we're instructed to do that. We're instructed in the New Testament to pray for those in authority, make intercession for them. And so I do pray for him. I pray for a lot of elected officials, in fact, most of them, that they would make good decisions so that we can live a peaceful and quiet life in this country. I would ask you to join me in praying. For the president, praying for his physical health and, I would say, praying for his spiritual health as well. The website tonyperkins.com, lots of resources there for you from today's program. Contact information and some action items. You're going to need to uh, to to go visit that because we need you to contact your senators. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but get ready. And by the way, if you live in Kansas, and I know a lot of you do, as I, we have a lot of listeners in Kansas, I'll be there this weekend. Sunday morning, I'll be at Central Christian Church in Wichita. And Sunday night, I'll be speaking at Lenexa Baptist Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And we'll have a pastor's breakfast the next morning there at Lenexa. So if you are in the area, come join us. You can find out more by going to TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today... Come, coming from our stand on the word bible reading plan is found in psalm 60 verses 11 and 12 Oh, grant us help against the foe for vain is the salvation of man with God we shall do valiantly it is he who will tread down our foes you know our spiritual enemy the devil is walking around like a roaring lion Peter wrote seeking whom he may devour the devices and wisdom of man is of no match We need the strength and the wisdom that comes only from the Lord. Then we can take our courageous stand. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. And again, I invite you to join me Monday through Friday at 844 a.m. Eastern time for a daily devotional based upon the reading plan. You can find it at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. President Biden's climate speech yesterday was notable for making clear his intent to declare a national climate emergency. This would function as an end around Congress, which has so far rejected his administration's radical left wing climate policies. Now, as we've discussed, one of the primary reasons Biden's agenda has stalled is the massive inflation our country is currently experiencing, partly due to the president's energy policies And now he wants to throw fuel on the fire by spending more government money. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Dr. Cal Beisner, president, founder of the Cornwall Alliance. Dr. Beisner, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you very much. So let me just get, uh, first off, your reaction to the president's climate speech yesterday and the potential of his declaring an emergency act.
5: Well, uh... (laughs) you know, I I think the thing that we can all be the most grateful for is that we have a Supreme Court, the majority of whose members actually think that we have a constitution, that the Constitution means something, and that it binds our federal government to uh, acting in certain ways. Uh, With uh, West Virginia versus EPA decided two weeks ago by the Supreme Court, Uh, the court ruled that the uh, Environmental Protection Agency could not Uh, regulate carbon dioxide emissions, which of course are the primary thing that gets blamed for global warming, although actually CO2's role in global temperature is actually quite small. Uh, But uh, the court ruled that the EPA could not regulate CO2 emissions under the Clean Air Act, though that was the act under which it purported to have the authority to do the regulation. And as a result, uh, what we're going to see if President Biden initiates a number of executive orders, and I have no doubt that he will, we're going to see simply a, a multiplication of court cases challenging those orders as not, uh, not authorized by any legislation put forth by Congress. He will, of course, uh, claim an emergency, but the emergency claim itself will be tested in the courts. So this is going to do a lot of uh, good for lawyers' income. And no good for the climate, no good for the American people.
1: So, uh, Dr. Baisa, what actions might he take? I mean, specifically what he might do. What authority does he have or what authority does he think he has uh, as it pertains to the climate and to controlling? I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know what, uh, quite frankly, this whole thing escapes me. This guy can't even save his own presidency and his party, but he, he thinks he can save the world uh, yeah. with, uh, and- you know, when it comes to the climate.
5: And he can't tell the difference between having cancer and having had cancer. Uh, That's, uh, it's really remarkable. Well, he seems to think, if his track record is any indicator, that he has unlimited authority to do anything he wants simply by proclaiming that something is an emergency. Uh, That's not our constitution. Uh, He is not our emperor. He is not our tyrant. He is not, though he seems to think that he can rule as a tyrant, uh, he's not our dictator. He is our president, elected by the people to execute the laws passed by the Congress. He has no authority to do anything else other than national defense. Uh, And uh, so, as I said, this is going to lead to lots of uh, legal uh, contest. Um, what sorts of things he thinks he can do. I'm sure he thinks that he can make orders that require uh, the replacement of coal as a fuel for uh, electricity generation at plants around the country with natural gas or, God forbid, uh, though he will certainly go this direction, wind and solar, the problem right. of which is that, you know, they're intermittent Uh, They actually produce electricity at only about 30% and 16 or 17% of of nameplate capacity. And as intermittent, they are unreliable. They destabilize the grid, and we're already seeing uh, increased, multiplying brownouts and blackouts, uh, rolling blackouts in California. We saw the problem in Texas last year with the extreme cold there. Uh, But he's going to try to do this sort of thing. We're already seeing the problems that's brought in other countries.
1: Very, very quickly. We only got 30 seconds left. But it it would appear that driving up energy cost, and he talks about we're in a transitory. Uh, We're trying to move over to renewables and this natural. This is costing families significantly.
5: Oh, very significantly indeed. Uh, It's driving many people into what uh, the British call fuel poverty or energy poverty, where their energy costs are so high that they can no longer afford either to keep their homes warm enough to avoid danger from cold in the winter or cool enough to avoid danger from heat in the summer. Or they can't afford adequate food for their nutrition. Uh, In Britain, hundreds of thousands of people died extra because of that. Uh, And we're going to see the same sort of thing here if similar policies are adopted. And it's totally unnecessary.
1: It it is not needed. Um, That's correct. Dr. Beisner, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
5: Tony, thanks very much. It's my pleasure and my honor.
1: All right, folks, coming up, we'll be joined by General Jerry Boykin to discuss some issues that the military is having, specifically getting people to join. Why is that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch.
0: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible.
6: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Earlier this week, Army Vice Chief of Staff General Joseph Martin presented a stunning report to the House Armed Services Committee. He testified that the armed forces will likely be understaffed by at least 7,000 soldiers when the fiscal year ends on September the 30th. And that that number could actually climb as high as 28,000 by next year's end. Now, the military brass says they're making every effort to prevent a decimated fighting force. But are they looking at the right things? Joining me now to talk more about this is our own general, General Jerry Boykin, a retired three-star general from the United States Army, one of the founding members of the Army's elite Delta Force, and he is our executive vice president. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Before we jump into the topic of the military, I understand you have a book out this week. In fact, today it has come out called Heroic Faith. Tell us about it.
7: Funny you should ask. Uh, Tony, uh, Lila Gilbert and, uh, Ariel Del Turco, uh, two of our staffers and I, uh, put a book together called heroic faith. And, uh, what we do is we, uh, we talk about the persecution of people of faith. It's not just Christians, primarily Christians, but it's not just Christians and we cover the entire world. I mean, every continent, uh, we talk about, uh, the persecution that's taking place of, uh, people of faith in different groups, uh, many and probably most of it is Christian, but uh, we talk about the Uyghurs, we talk about other minorities, the Yazidis, and uh, we talk about some of the people who have uh, resisted, uh, particularly against uh, Islam. And uh, we talk about one young lady there that is named Leah Sherabu who was captured by Boko Haram in uh, Nigeria and absolutely refused to uh, recant and deny Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And uh, of the hundred plus that were captured, she is the only one that is not accounted for because uh, the people that came out from uh, there that were captured with her told us about how she, she courageously stood for her faith and refused to deny Jesus
1: Yeah, in fact, she was my prisoner of conscience at uh, the USURF Commission, which I served on for four years. So so four years, I was advocating for her working with the previous administration. And unfortunately, she uh, she remains a captive by uh, Boko Haram. But, you know, it's in many of these individuals really, I think, challenge us and should inspire us as believers in this country uh, to stand up. And, and live out our faith in a real and a tangible way. And this is one of the disappointing things I see, you know, you and I talk about this, but the lack of courage that we see in this country, and especially right now even among the political class, afraid to stand up and defend natural marriage for fear that they would be labeled as uh, homophobic or anti-gay. And, and this is a real core value issue. And there are people around this world uh, that are dying for what they
7: believe in. And, um, am, you know, w- well, it's, it's also important for people to understand that we actually have one of those people, uh, and that's, uh, Andrew Brunson, who was, uh, taken captive in Turkey. And, and in fact, you were the one that the president sent over to, uh, help escort him home when he was finally released. And he is now one of our senior fellows. So we write his story too.
1: Right. Right. This is something we work on each and every day. So, uh, folks, you can get a copy of this book, Heroic Faith, bookstores everywhere, every place you can get books. You can get uh, the General's uh, book, Heroic Faith, Hope and Global Persecution. I encourage you to pick up a copy. Lots of stories. All right, General, uh, one of the topics you and I both have a great concern about and passion for our nation's military Uh, This week, General Martin testified what has already been reported extensively. The military is struggling to attract personnel. In fact, just reading a a recent survey, now uh, members who've served are saying, you know what? I'm not sure I'd recommend that people serve in our nation's military. This has people questioning as to whether or not our future can be sustained by an all-volunteer force. What's going on?
7: Yeah, there are a couple of things uh, that are are very key to this problem. One is uh, that only 23 percent of the young men and women in America that are of of the age to be able to join the military can actually qualify to join the military uh, without a waiver. And uh, that is based on a number of things, not not just uh, criminal records or not finishing high school, but also Uh, Their physical fitness, Uh, there's a lot more diabetes among the youth today than there was before. So that's part of it. When you're recruiting from a population of of only 23% of the American uh, population that's in the age bracket there, that's a real problem. But the greater problem, in my view, is that uh, our military has lost its focus. Uh, They only have one mission, Tony, and you know it very well. It's to win the nation's wars. And instead, what we have is an administration that is far more focused on having a woke military than having a ready military. And you saw that played out in Afghanistan. And it it is driving people out. So why do we need to recruit more people? Because a lot of people are leaving the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, even the Coast Guard, voluntarily because they're tired, they're fed up with uh, the way they're wasting their time going through all of these sensitivity classes and all of this uh, critical race theory and all these things that uh, go towards making them woke, but it does nothing to contribute to their readiness. And they are fed up with it. I talk to them all the time. And uh, this should not be hard for the administration to figure out. They're denying the obvious. They'd rather blame it on the economy being good. Well, that's questionable, too.
1: You know, I was reading some of the reasons they're giving, that it's hard on families, uh, the deployments, the moving, uh, the financial issues. But you know what? That's what it was when I joined back in the 80s. And and even then, the military was held in low esteem because of uh, on the heels of Vietnam. But I think it's bigger than that. I think maybe it's people are not willing to sacrifice because it's not a there's not a cause being articulated when it's lost in this wokeness you don't have the greater calls for faith family freedom for country i think that's their problem they need to go get back to the very basics of the military standing for something and fighting for something
7: i'll give you the last word general very quickly Well, when you look at the public school systems and how the public school systems have denigrated our founding fathers and denigrated our history, they're trying to take down symbols of our history. Uh, You have a generation now that is, uh, if you look at the surveys, that at least half of them are not proud to be American.
1: Got to leave it it there, General. That is the last word. Thanks for joining us. We're out of time. Stick with us, folks. We're back after this.
6: Are you a university student?
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, and uh, I don't normally cut the general off, but we were out of time. I'll hear from him later, I'm sure. Uh, glad you've tuned in for this Thursday afternoon. The website is TonyPerkins.com, and again, you need to mark your calendars because we have coming up the Prayvote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, September the 14th through the 15th. That's uh, you can find out more by going to PrevoteStand.org/slash-summit. Hurry up and register because it's filling up quickly. When the Supreme Court concocts a new right from thin air, such as uh, with Roe v. Wade and the right to kill the unborn or Obergefell versus Hodges in its redefinition of marriage, the court not only defies thousands of years of established tradition, it also inflicts severe damage on the rights of children. Obviously, Roe violated a child's very basic right to life, but Obergefell and the redefinition of natural marriage that it wrought had, was a subversive violation of a child's right to a mother and a father. know, children aren't able to vote, which is convenient, quite frankly, both uh, for both the abortion supporters and those who want to redefine marriage because they want to focus on adults' desires and not what's best for children. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Katie Faust. She's the founder and director of Them Before Us organization and the author of Them Before Us, Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. Katie, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Thanks for having me. Really glad to be here.
1: Well, you are very clear in your presentations that you don't come to this issue based upon your feelings. And quite frankly, that's something that frustrates me in this public policy arena from both sides of the aisle, that we're making policy based upon feelings and not what is best for society. Well,
3: and specifically... We're making decisions based on adult feelings, because if we were making decisions based on children's feelings, we would protect a child's right to life, and we would protect natural marriage, because natural marriage is the only institution that unites the two people to whom children have a natural right. Those happen to be the two people that children long to know and be loved by, and so the problem is centering this around adult feeling rather than children. Their rights, needs, desire, and what maximizes their development, which is the home of their married mother and father
1: so who would you say is the biggest victim when it comes to redefining marriage
3: well Anytime we get social policy wrong, it seems that children are always the victims. We saw that very clearly in Roe. Um, we see it now very clearly in Obergefell. What we saw is that in that case, that nationalized same-sex marriage, supposedly the adult said, well, this has nothing to do with kids, right? This is just about with whom you share love and connection. But what we saw is that when you make husbands and wives optional in marriage law, very quickly, mothers and fathers become optional in parenthood law. And that was made obvious in the case of Pavan, two years after a fell, where two women could put their name on a child's birth certificate, both as parents to a child, legally erasing the child's father. So this is 100% an issue of children's rights. Marriage is an issue of social justice for children. And when we fail to defend marriage, as it is properly understood,
1: we fail to defend children. So, so Katie, in a, in those who supported abortion, the baby loses its life. And now you do have women who are dealing with post-abortive issues that maybe have a change of their mind and actually become advocates for life. But here in this case, there's something a little different here because when you have children that are that are now being put into situations where they're denied a mother or a father. They will eventually be voters and they will eventually come to adulthood. And they have some ideas about this, do they not?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. That the victims of Roe will not be here to tell their story, but motherless and fatherless victims that are being victimized by bad legal decisions like. Obergefell, by bad cultural ideas like love makes a family and biology is irrelevant and gender is irrelevant, and by bad technological developments that legally or technologically allow for a mother or father to be cut out at the moment of conception. Those children are alive. They are speaking out. And the story is, this has harmed me. I desperately longed to know who my father was. I desperately, I was desperate for the love of a mother while I was growing up. And so those are the stories that now deserve to take center stage. If we are going to talk about feelings, it needs to be the feelings of the primary victims of these bad cultural, legal, and technological changes, and that's children.
1: Katie, you only have about a minute left, but you've said that the pro-marriage crowd often lacks the courage that pro-lifers demonstrate. Explain that quickly.
3: What I saw from my pro-life friends, and I'm pro-life too, but, uh, you know, I learned a lot from them. They were so confident that they were fighting for the rights of children and the well-being of children that they were willing to put themselves out there. They were willing to lose friends over the issue, even though they were beautifully and firmly standing in defense of kids. People that support marriage need to get to that same place. This is 100% about children. This absolutely determines their thriving, their identity, their whether or not they are actually going to be safe and loved, as all of us desire for kids. We have to get very serious about defending natural marriage, regardless of what the law says, because children's rights are at stake.
1: And regardless of what people may say about you on social media, uh, it, is, right. uh, it is time exactly. to defend the children. Uh, Katie, So good to have you on the program. Thanks so much for uh, all that you do and for being a clear voice on this in a culture that, quite frankly, is confused. Well, folks, stick around. We've got uh, more on our discussion about how the cracks in the definition of marriage has its effect upon the family, but also how should you respond as a Bible-believing Christian As Katie was just talking about, there's this lack of courage because we're fearful of what others are going to say. You know, has anything changed in the last seven years since so many, so many Christians were opposed to this redefinition of marriage? Has anything really changed? We're going to talk about that next with Virgil Walker. Don't go away. More Washington
2: Watch to come right after this. What is biblical masculinity?
6: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, tonyperkins.com. Again, let me remind you register soon for this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. It will be September the 14th through the 16th at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Great lineup of speakers. You can see them all. Go to PrevoteStand.org slash summit. All right, as we've been talking about this week, the House voted to codify the redefinition of marriage into federal law. Now, Senator Schumer now plans to take the vote to the Senate. So I want to encourage you to contact your senators. A lot of senators just kind of being silent. I'm talking about those on the Republican side. And they need to hear from you. I've talked to a few of them today. Uh, You can visit FRC. Action.org slash marriage to see how your representative voted and also to tell your senator not to redefine marriage in the law. Uh, you can also go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over from there. All right. The um, Respect, Mar- Respect for Marriage Act, which is what they call it, it included 47 Republicans uh, joining this uh, unanimous Democratic vote for the bill. This was pushed by Nancy Pelosi. They circumvented the normal process to put this through, and I believe is a way to drive a wedge between Republicans and their core constituency. A lot of the conversations we've heard about this is, well, you know, I've got a, a, a gay brother or this or that, and so I didn't want to offend anyone. All right. Is that how we should be making public policy? I mean, we're just talking with Katie about the impact this has on children. We didn't get into the impact it has on religious freedom. We've seen that in the seven years since the court redefined marriage. This is not theoretical. It's real. We're seeing Christians drawn in, uh, drug into court almost every day. We're seeing teachers fired for using the wrong pronouns. All of this transgender stuff that is flooding our schools, where do you think it came from? The starting gate was the redefinition of marriage. So how should Christians with a biblical worldview respond when it comes to this redefinition of marriage and where our culture is wanting to take us? Joining me now to discuss this is Virgil Walker. He's the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries and the co-host of the Just Thinking podcast. Virgil, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: Hey, great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me.
1: And by the way, Virgil was at uh, Prevold's stand last year, so he knows a little bit about uh, the event. You, did, you guys yeah. did a great job. You and Daryl, I uh, always Thank like to hear so what much. you have to say. And, uh, and so I wanted to have this discussion with you. When you discuss marriage, so much of your focus is on how natural marriage with a mother and a father guides and strengthens children. Is mm-hmm. the ongoing effort in our culture to redefine marriage just another example of ignoring biblical wisdom, um, or is this, you know,
4: hey, we got to catch up with the times and we got to change? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, Tony, thanks for having me, first of all. And I think there are, there are three things that are at play uh, regarding what we're seeing within evangelicalism as people are, are beginning to embrace the idea of same-sex marriage. Uh, one, I think there's a number of folks who are just afraid. Uh, they're absolutely fearful. They don't want to offend. They don't want to be offensive. Um, and, and as a result, uh, they, you know, they, they've sworn off you know, saying anything. So they've, they've either n- not embraced a biblical worldview or uh, they've actually been quiet or silent about it. I think the second thing uh, that's begun to happen is that many evangelicals have embraced the, the, the idea that, that same-sex marriage, uh, that, you know, this false notion, rather, of, of so-called same-sex marriage, it requires them to reject the person Rather than simply rejecting the behavior, so in that instance, what they've done is they've convoluted the idea that uh, they they, they've convoluted the idea of of marriage between a a husband and wife, uh, and 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 the idea of the imago dei. Right? There's a convoluted idea about that. We've we've embraced sin as a result of embracing the idea of an image bearer of God. So those two things are convoluted. I think the third real issue. Uh, That is at hand for the most part for the believer, in fact, uh, is the idea that we've gotten our preaching has gotten so weakened uh, that pastors are not doing what they need to do in pulpits. Uh, they're not teaching like they used to the, the you know, the, the, their time in the pulpit is shorter. They're actually embracing the more of a TED talk model uh, than really walking people through, uh, th- you know, the things that they should have a theological conviction about. So I think those are the three things that are happening as a result of, of folks embracing, especially evangelicals, embracing the idea of same-sex marriage.
1: So l- let me ask you, that brings up an issue. I, I think, you know, we want to be like Christ. Um, but Jesus offended people I mean the truth offends yeah. but the truth is also what sets us free and I think it's in fact we look in Revelation one of those at the top of the list that God is going to judge are, are those that, that uh, are, are cowards because mm-hmm. what happens when we are cowards those that would be set free from hearing the truth
4: remain captives Absolutely. Absolutely, Tony. I, I, think, I think you nailed it. When you think about the fact that the, the, the Christian faith that we have embraced uh, was built upon the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross followed by the blood of the martyrs, um, that, that's, a, that's a heroic faith in which we stand. And, and what we're witnessing in our day, in our modern times, are a group of so-called Christians who had, who've enjoyed such a peaceful expression of Christianity, that we're mm. we're afraid that someone won't like us, right? R- rather than being martyred, we're concerned about Facebook likes uh, and, and and making sure that, that that folks like us on social media. I, I, we, yeah. You know, that's the trade-off for where we are currently in in our culture.
1: We're flabby, out of shape Christians that uh, that. that... You know, we can't take up our cross and follow Jesus because we can't even pick it up. We can't get off the couch. Yeah. Um, another point you brought up, and, and I me mean, say it another way. I think what's happened in the, in the church is, you know, we're called to love. Yes. And we do love. We love our enemies. We love everyone. Christ loved us. In fact, before Christ, God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die for our sins. But he came... As an expression of love to save us from our sins, not to affirm us. So I think we've conflated love with affirmation. And so that in order to express love to someone, we have to affirm the choices that they have made. God doesn't He doesn't do that for us, and He doesn't call us to affirm all choices that people make.
4: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that had to do with the messaging of the LGBTQIA two plus coalition, if you will. Uh, when, when the messaging of uh, really with regard to the, the L and the G, uh, they, they, the idea behind their push was, we're born this way, right? This is how, this is how I was created. Now, uh, uh, along that has come the T, and that's totally turned the apple cart upside down. But, but initially, the message was, I was born this way. So if you reject, um, you know, if you reject my behavior, then you're rejecting how God made me. That was their messaging unfortunately, a lot of Christians have fallen in line with that idea. Uh, And again, rather than separating the the two ideas and saying, okay, this is an issue of of the doctrine of man, you're an image bearer of God, and this is an issue of sin. This is behavior that does not please God. I can still love you while rejecting the sinful behavior associated with what you're doing. Uh, We have a high view of the Imago Dei. We have a high view of being image bearers of God. And and, and we should also equally have a high view of the things that God calls sin uh, and maintain uh, fidelity, uh, integrity to those things in spite of what culture may send our way.
1: So, Virgil, we also have a high view of Scripture. Uh, We believe the Word of God is actually true. And the Word of God says and I mentioned this a moment ago, that the truth
4: shall make you free. Is that true? Absolutely, it's true. And, and, and the fact is that the freedom that we have in, in, in Christ is, is only expressed as we proclaim the gospel, that message of the gospel. Um, you know, I, I was sharing with one of your producers uh, early on that, uh, you know, I had a younger, younger brother uh, who actually passed away. For those who may, who may think, oh, this, this guy is an evangelical. Uh, he doesn't know anything about you know, uh, homosexuality, doesn't encounter inc- our, our, our culture much. Uh, my brother struggled with homosexuality all his life. Uh, in fact, would contract HIV and then full-blown AIDS and pass away as a result uh, of complications due to AIDS. Uh, we watched him and his whole life unfold in such a way where he would ignore God and did the wrong thing. We maintained fidelity to the truth of the message of the gospel. Uh, we loved him, uh, but we weren't going to change our position just because of the behavior that he was exhibiting. Uh, as a result, toward the end of his life, uh, Tony, I'm, I'm pleased to say that, that he would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he would actually, again, those, those who were closest to him uh, would, 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 would let us know that he had really made a decision, A, to follow Christ, and B, was making his way back to uh, our family in, 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 you know, in, in an embracing way. But we would not get to him in, in time, but, but the messages uh, that we maintained stayed with him. And I have a hope tony that I'll see my brother one day again in heaven but, but if we abandon truth there will be no hope for us there won't be any opportunity to see god uh, do do a work in the life of the individual if we abandon truth they'll they'll be they'll be they'll be lost uh, not not just in the here and now but for eternity
1: right and i think the expression of love which you did with your brother by telling him a Hard truth that he didn't want to hear. He would rather yeah. have something make him feel good for the moment. But see, by by being truthful and by loving him, you faced rejection. You see, when we speak truth, we're the ones that it, it. All of a sudden, we become the one who is rejected. And and I think a lot of our hesitancy to speak truth is is the fear of rejection. We don't want our feelings hurt. We don't want people to turn away from us we want to be loved by people but in reality true love, real love speaks truth and that's what ultimately leads to peace and to freedom
4: yeah it it absolutely does i think uh, i think being able to speak hard truths uh should in fact especially for christians should be demonstrated in the pulpit uh should be demonstrated by the men of god who who are in the pulpits who are speaking and preaching the word of God they should be the ones who who are exemplifying the willingness to say and preach hard truths but what we're seeing in our current day is we've got milk toast preachers uh, preaching milk toast sermons uh, to, to milk toast uh, believers uh, in the pew and so we shouldn't all be surprised as a result of that, that that our response to any pushback in culture is a milk toast, Response. That's exactly what we're seeing uh, believers engage in uh, every time we every time an, an issue uh, ri, ri, you know rises to the fore that that challenges that comfortable feeling between us and the world.
1: So so Virgil, we're seeing a culture that is um, moving toward embracing this. I mean, you look at the poll numbers since the court redefined marriage, there are more Americans that are okay with this, and even among evangelicals. So if the culture is changing times are changing, should Christians go along with that, or should we be going against the flow, standing for the eternal truth of God's Word, facing the consequences as they come?
4: Yeah, that, that, that is the once-for-all delivered to the saints' faith that, that that Scripture calls us to take a stand for. Um, every, every, every hero that we look at in history, whether it's American history or church history, stood for something. Uh, they were willing to take an unpopular stand. They were willing to, to put their 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 lives on the line uh, in an effort to say, this is what I believe. I'm, I'm going I'm to stand on this truth and go no further. I'm not going to allow uh, what 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 the world may say, what 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 tyrants may say uh, to, to dissuade me from this position. And they did so not on the basis of some emotional appeal, but they did so on the basis of, of objective Truth for the believer in Christ, that objective truth is the Word of God, and that is where we have to stand at the end of the day,
1: because it is unchanging, and you can uh, you can be certain that it will remain. Uh, just have about a minute and a half left, Virgil. But you know, one of the hesitancies that some have, and I've heard this, is that they have uh, mixed this issue of redefinition of marriage with interracial marriage. And of course, yes. Christians don't want to be seen as being racist. How do
4: you respond yeah. to that? I, you know, I, I really, I, I, I don't, one of the things I don't do is I don't engage in what the world is is discussing on these issues. I simply stand on the truth of, of, of the word of God. They, they want to convolute, okay, the, the, the issue of, of black and white and these different races. Race is a social construct uh, created by men. Uh, God mm-hmm. has one mm-hmm. human race created in his image and likeness uh scripture is clear in in, in Acts 17 26 that god made from one man every nation and that word nation there's the word ethnos ethnos and and what it means is every ethnicity so from one man he creates all ethnicities we if we stand on the truths of scripture we don't have to get sucked into these rabbit trails uh, that would that would t- that would take us down in a in a direction that absolutely is, is meaningless. At the end of the day, we've got to stand on the truth. We've got to stand on the truth of Scripture, and we've got to proclaim it because at the end of the day, marriage absolutely matters. Marriage matters.
1: Yes, and to do that, we have to know Scripture. We've got to be in it. Absolutely. We've got to be reading it. We have to be in churches that are preaching it and showing us how to apply it to the world in which we live. Virgil Walker, great to have you on today. Thanks so much for taking time to join us. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Look, the the, the only way we can do this in terms of standing on truth is to know the truth. And that's why why the Family Research Council has been promoting a journey through the Bible, a two-year Bible reading plan. And we're on our second iteration of that. You can join us. You can go to frc.org slash Bible. We have to know the truth, and we have to stand on the truth. Well, folks, thank you for being with us today. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.